Welcome to the Fire Learning Trail. The Fire Learning Trail is brought to you by the Fire Learning Network, the Consortium of Appalachian Fire Managers and Scientists, the Nature Conservancy, and the USDA Forest Service. Your guide on this trail is Allison Kuntz with the U.S. Forest Service, and I'm Jen Bunty with the Consortium of Appalachian Fire Managers and Scientists. Welcome back to another episode of the Fire Learning Trail in Daniel Boone National Forest. I'm here today with Allison Kuntz with the U.S. Forest Service. Allison, do you want to talk a little bit about your background and what you do here? Hi, this is Allison Kuntz. I have been a fire management officer on the Daniel Boone National Forest since 2005. I actually started my career in 1988 in Northern California, um, fighting wildfires in the Shasta Trinity National Forest, and have been able to uh, move around through five different forests throughout the country before being so lucky as to move here to the Daniel Boone. For this episode, we've headed out to one of the burn units known as the Barren Fork area. Allison, can you tell us a little bit about this area? What are we looking at? Why is this special? So the Barren Fork unit that you're looking at now is a total of over 1,200 acres. But as you can see, there's a definite separation between that overstory canopy and then the the lower and midstory canopies. Um, In 2005, when this area was burned, it was burned under fairly hot prescription And that allowed for the removal of much of that understory vegetation. And as you look look into that lower level right now, you'll see a lot of oak regeneration is occurring. In some of our other episodes, we've talked about what it takes to do a controlled burn. What's unique about this one? What's particular to Barren Fork? When When we're working on control lines to implement the fire, We are using either hand tools, chainsaws, or even heavy equipment. Um, With the Barren Fork Burn in particular, a lot of the lines are already in place as roads or trails. So we do a little bit of trail clearing, and we also have a a good portion of creek that we get to use, so there's not a whole lot of soil disturbance on on those line perimeters. One of the things we look at every time we go out is uh, the possibility of having heavier fuel loads right next to the line. Maybe a tree has fallen down or if a tree has died and is uh, standing dead. When that happens, we push all of the heavier debris back into the burn area so that so there's not really a big fuel loading right on the edge. Or with those snags, if we cannot follow them safely, we'll put a, a control line around each and every one of those little snags, just clear it out to mineral soil so that it will not ignite while we were doing our prescribed burn. One of the other factors in, in Barren Fork specifically is we know we have several locations where there's sensitive plant species. So prior to burning, we have folks go out and take a look at those populations. If there's a chance that the fire would, would go through those plants at the wrong period of the, the year, of their growth period, then we'll also put a control line around that. And on the day that we decide to burn, We'll have folks go out and light around those plants and let the fire start backing away from that little community. Okay, so once you get those control lines in place, then what happens? Once control lines have been completed and we're ready to to start looking at implementation, a lot of times we're looking about three days out uh, or maybe even longer, uh, trying to see when we're going to get good weather conditions and fuel conditions that will fit within the burn parameters. When a good-looking burn day does show up in the forecast and the weather forecasts, 
you know, two, three days out, we're often trying to accomplish several burns, but spread out over, you know, 100 miles with, within the forest boundary. So in order to get enough personnel in place and equipment, we, we start working that two, three days in advance, trying to move resources around and get them on the road. Even though sometimes we'll have folks that are coming from southern Mississippi that are driving all the way up to Kentucky just to work on a burn unit for a couple of days and then go back. So it takes a lot of lead time in order to, to get all, all the pieces in place. When we get to that, that morning of the day of the burn, uh, the burn bosses are you know, getting up in the morning and going and looking at their computer to see what the spot forecasts are going to predict for us for the, for the day. And we all have to sit down with our agency administrator and go through those forecasts, what our objectives are, what prescription parameters we're, we're meeting, and determine if, if it really is going to be the day that we're going to ignite. Wow, so that's a lot of moving pieces all throughout the forest. When we're getting ready to implement our burns, um, usually because of the small number of federal employees in the, in the area, we end up uh, being able to take advantage of multiple organizations and regions to be able to get enough personnel. Oftentimes we'll have representatives from the Nature Conservancy come and join us. We have resources that come in from the western forests and are located. they stage and, and move all around the southern area wherever we need prescribed burning done. We are able now to uh, get some Kentucky State employees come and um, join us and work on the prescribed burns. That would be either uh, the Division of Forestry or uh, Fish and Wildlife is also um, very active in, in prescribed burning, and they can come and help. In addition, we have Job Corps centers located. There's three separate centers located in the state of Kentucky that have fire-qualified personnel and students, so it provides a really good opportunity for the students specifically to to see live fire and learn what the what kind of fire behavior they're going to experience when they're out working on wildfires at a later point. Were you actually on one of the controlled burns for Barren Fork? So I've been able to work on three separate uh, entrances, I'll call it, to, into the uh, burn area. One in uh, the first one was in 2005, then again in 2009, and 2013 was the last time that we prescribed burn it. In the 2005 burn, the conditions were kind of on the warmer side as far as our prescriptions. The, the fuel and soil moistures were down a little bit, and um, weather was warm, you know, moderate winds. And what we ended up with after the fact was the majority of the mid-story and, and lower vegetation being removed. What we then found after a couple of years is that we had a really good influx of oak regeneration. Um, I think that's maybe because we removed a bunch of the duff as well, and it allowed for the acorns to uh, get in and start growing. Yeah, we've heard a couple times that fire is beneficial to oaks. How do we know that? It's easy to tell that the oak species are more adapted to fire than some other species. Uh, Specifically, if you look at an oak leaf, that has fallen and is laying dry on the, on the forest floor, it curls up just like you would curl up your fingers in your hand, like you're holding a ball. When that happens, 
it allows for a lot more air movement around that leaf and so they dry or moisten a little bit more quickly than say a maple leaf that when it falls it lays perfectly flat and lands lands on the forest floor after a good rainstorm you'll you can see that that leaf that's laying perfectly flat is going to maintain a higher moisture content than that oak leaf that's all curled up and is able to dry out a little bit faster. Okay, so the oak leaves build up fuel. Besides burning for restoration, can you talk about the data you're collecting? When we put in monitoring plots, we locate them in different ecosystems throughout the burn areas. That way we can get a general idea of what effects might be different from a ridge top to down in a, in a, in a basin. The plots consist of a, a series of different items being collected. Uh, Of course, we are looking at the dead and down fuels and and down to counting sticks that are a quarter of an inch all the way up to to logs and how many are within the plot area. We're looking at forbs and grasses and the species that are are existing. Um, Shrubbery, we count seedlings and saplings and also look at the overstory most of the plots that we collect are a tenth of an acre. And like I said, they're located throughout the different forest types in each of the stands. Plots are put in before the initial burn. And then we also go in right immediate post-burn and see what the, the difference is. After that, we go in a year after it's been burned. Three years and then five years is the final plot data collection that is then then used to see what kind of changes we've had through that five-year period. If you were to turn around right now, you'd see that um, there's another research area. That is going to be planned for a dormant season burn, which should happen somewhere between February 1st and March 30th, and has also got a a fairly thin overstory as compared to the, the forest around it. Overall, there are... 12 different silvicultural treatment areas in this project. And the University of Tennessee has a lot of research plots that they've located throughout those 12 locations. We have combined many of those locations into just five burn areas. And two of the 12 have been left out of any kind of influence from man and are called control units. We are using those to compare what our actions are causing and and resulting in as to if we just left the forest untouched. Have you guys found anything from that yet? No, because we really haven't gotten that far. That's what I was saying, that the the logger hasn't finished and we can't burn yet because of, Mm -hmm. yeah. So hopefully burning soon and getting some good results that help you keep the forest even healthier. We're actually talking in the next episode with Dr. Pat Kaiser from the University of Tennessee, who's doing research here. So thanks, Allison, for this great introduction. And thank you for listening. Join us next time to get more information on the fire science going on in the Daniel Boone. For more information, you can contact the Daniel Boone National Forest or the Consortium of Appalachian Fire Managers and Scientists at www.appalachianfire.org. And feel free to join our conversations on Facebook and Twitter by using the hashtag GoodFire, G-O-O-D-F-I-R-E.